Welcome to another episode of Andy Hears the 80s. I am your host, Andy, joined, as always, by my co-host, Aaron Keck. Hello. It's the show where we go through the music of the 1980s and figure out what exactly is worth adding to the CD collection. Uh, this week, we're taking a look at uh, the what I've dubbed the legacy artists of uh, the time. So these are guys who were uh, big in the 60s and 70s, or at least got their starts there, and then as you do, continued to make music into the 80s. Right. Um, with uh, mixed results, we'll find out, I think. <laughs> uh, Is that optimistic? I don't I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know if I would necessarily refer to these as, as an album, as a, as a collection of mixed results, but... Uh, yeah, I think, well, some of the albums themselves are mixed results. I yeah, think. There's yeah. good and bad on all of these, I yeah. think. But this is a... I, I chose mostly artists that, um, that I had the most... Uh, you know, knowledge of prior to this. Um, so it's, you know, if you look in the 60s and 70s in my shelves, it's mostly Beatles and Stones and Dylan and uh, Bowie. Uh, you know, the, all, the, all the guys are going to hear the ones, you know, Dylan in the 80s, I skipped over because he was in that kind of uh, like born again Christian thing. He was coming in and out of. Right. I was wondering why no Dylan. This yeah. Time. And so nothing really, I don't think, I think, worth coming back to some of the later things he did in like the 90s and 2000s have been well received but it's pretty safe i think to skip over the 80s entirely for him um pink floyd obviously we heard in the first episode we have done that already yes. <laughs> which uh it's kind of you know that, safe to skip over the 80s there too. yeah the the uh that first episode still kind of serves as like the touchstone for a lot of these right when i when i was going through them you know each one of the albums in that episode kind of spawned his own episode right so that one this is kind of the uh momentary lapse of reason part two for some of these yeah uh i let's see the first one we're going to hear double fantasy um i we got a, a john and a paul record in here ringo did put out two albums in the 80s and george put out three not including uh his time with the traveling wilburys right um george actually had i think the biggest hits right in the 80s maybe uh, i don't know yeah debatable i mean some of the ones that we'll hear might be considered at yeah least. john and paul mm -hmm. both on these albums had some pretty big hits too uh, but i didn't want to make it an entirely beatles episode so i <laughs> decided to go just with the two of uh john and paul yeah first things first uh double fantasy by john lennon and yoko ono uh, this one's right in uh, November of 1980. This is his seventh uh, studio solo album after the Beatles, obviously. Uh, and it, of course, has the uh, dubious honor of being his final release uh, in his lifetime because he would die just a few weeks after this was released. A know. few weeks after this was released, but... Before the reviews came out, which was fun to read. Apparently, all the reviews or most of the reviews were yeah. middling to negative, And then John Lennon gets killed. Right. And every newspaper slash media, rock media outlet kills all of the mm -hmm. negative reviews and says, well, we can't have that. So right. you get this flood of positivity about the Double Fantasy album. And then it ends up winning the Grammy for Best mm -hmm. Album. And... Yeah, reception, you know, in those weeks before, you know, in between coming out and him dying were mixed to negative, really. Yeah, uh, yeah and then obviously it gets a little bit of a boost uh, from it being his final album. It is really but, fascinating. We're going to see this in, I think, a couple of these other albums. The difference between the initial response and mm -hmm. the initial reviews and the initial reaction versus the way that it's been interpreted and remembered or not remembered over time yeah and i think this one you know obviously it immediately had a different reception but listening to it now i think there's enough time has passed where i almost kind of went back the other way again i don't think it's bad but i can certainly see hearing it devoid of any context outside of the album and thinking yeah, it's it's got its, it's moments. Fine, yeah, right? but it's nothing like it's uh, nothing not as good as anything he made with the Beatles. Obviously, no. it's not even as good as like uh, the first Plastic Ono band stuff that he put out. I think it's just kind of. Uh, I mean, the first song, just like Starting Over, was released as a single beforehand, and it kind of to me was like kind of him saying, "Right, I feel like I'm kind of starting over. This is his first album he's made in five years, and even the last one he had made before that was." A bunch of like old rock and roll covers 
So in a way, he kind of had to kind of find his feet again, it, it sounds like. Yeah. Uh, but I do want to play uh, Watching the Wheels on this one. I think it's probably my favorite one on here. It's definitely my favorite one on this. wanted to get to the chorus and you had to play the uh, uh, like half the song in order to get <laughs> yeah, to the I chorus know. the first time i forgot right? that he does like the double verse the double verse the, at yeah. the beginning yeah this is uh that song is great and it's one of the uh, one of the things that i appreciate about music in general and pop rock songs in particular is that mm-hmm. every so often you'll get a song that you really love yeah. and you wonder why like it's not the lyrics it's not the melody what is it and it's just some little element of the song and in this case it's that kind of a rolling piano mm-hmm. uh in the in the background which there's a not a bootleg, but a, a demo version of uh-huh. this song, which is available if you dig for it, which is just John Lennon with the the piano, and that that kind mm-hmm. of role is much more prominent, and that's even more cool, I think. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is like it's uh, it's the sum of all the parts, kind of too, right? It, mm-hmm. it is that rolling piano. I think it does have a great melody. It does. Uh, this is kind of i mean i think it's definitely the best song on the album but i think think it is one of the it's such a complete package uh, altogether i think it's one of the best songs of the 80s it's definitely i think the best song of these five albums that we're going to hear and it's also very symbolic or emblematic of all five of these albums combined because we're seeing all of these artists kind of move into their older more mature mm-hmm. mellower kind right. of phase and here's a song that's about that and celebrating it but also kind of aware of yeah. the fact that we're moving into something that's profoundly and fundamentally different and in some cases even the opposite of mm-hmm. the lifestyle and the worldview that made us famous that right. we're going to be remembered for uh it's a it's a very complicated song, yeah. and I like that. It, it embraces that change that they're going through rather than fights yeah. against it. For right? better or worse, mm-hmm. right? Because, I mean, John Lennon was an activist, right. and he spent years fighting to, to make the world a better place. And this is a song where he's saying, you know what? No, I'm, I'm good just sort of hanging out in the right. backyard and watching my kids play on the swing set. And there's there's positives and negatives about that. I have a friend who hates this song (laughs) for exactly that reason it's Mm -hmm. john lennon abdicating his responsibility to make the world a better place and encouraging everyone else to do the same thing and we got into this 
discussion you were mentioning dylan a Uh a couple of minutes ago we got into this discussion and i realized that the opposite of watching the wheels is my back pages which is dylan also singing about how when he was young he was more of an activist and now he's older he's mellowed Uh but in my back pages that's a negative thing i was so much older in the past now i'm more immature because i'm not caring about the world that's interesting Uh, and lennon goes in exactly the opposite direction i think they're both great songs but it's a good pairing between the two yeah definitely yeah, and I think um, it's obviously it's obviously sad that he was murdered right after this came out. But I think you can tell. I mean, that goes way to take a stand on the yeah, issues. Of I want to. <laughs> I'm going to come out. This might be controversial. It's, people are going to disagree. I don't think murder is good. Thank you. Thank you. I for just taking have to that get stand. that off my chest. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's it is obviously sad that he that. Well, I shouldn't say that. It's unfortunate that you can tell he's getting back in the swing of things and doesn't have the opportunity to put out more music after this, right? Or watch his kids play on the swing yeah, set. more I mean, importantly, you know, yeah. just hang out with his family. That's what his, And that's what the five-year hiatus was for. He right. was raising his son, Sean, during this time. But uh, they, he would put out one more, or I guess Yoko would put out the kind of leftovers from these, these sessions as Milk and Honey in 1984. Um, and yeah, it's disappointing that uh it had to end here for obviously important and less important reasons but it set the tone for uh well for also some of what the other guys in the band of the beatles would do right right? they would all have their own tributes to him which by the way if i'm julian i'm a little bit miffed because Uh john writes beautiful boy very explicitly about sean Uh and if it wasn't clear he he says sean's name out loud at the end yeah Julian doesn't get his own John Lennon song, does it? No. I mean, he, he's okay because he got Hey Jude, right. but Paul had to write that. Yeah, exactly. Which is a little like, like Paul like, had on, to Dad. pick up the like, slack on yeah. that. It, it is, I'm sure there's a lot of complicated family history with the, mm. with the Lennon. I have no claim, doubt. But yeah. But is, I don't feel too bad for Julian because he did get possibly the greatest Beatles song and argue, sure. <laughs> possibly the greatest rock song ever written about him. That's, that's a pretty good legacy, yeah. but... Yeah, he's Come on, Dad. It could be worse, but <laughs> it is a little bit like I'm sure at the time he was probably what, like in his teen teen years, I guess at this point uh, when this came out. If if not even older, I don't know. Yeah. He was he came out with his own stuff in '84, and he was in his early 20s then. So okay. yeah, probably like late teens. Yeah, so he was probably. I'm sure he wasn't thrilled exactly listening to it. Yeah, this is also the greatest time to to be <laughs> to feel slighted, like yeah. when you're a teenager, and like that's just going to magnify it mm-hmm. that much more. Sorry, Julian. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Julian Lennon, yeah. if you're listening. Don't make it bad. <laughs> Don't make it bad. <laughs> Take a sad song, make it better, is what I would there say. There you go. Yeah. Uh, next up, um, we have now, you know, a lot of these albums we talked about uh, moving on and uh, seeing how your age is uh, changing you. I would say the next one does uh, none of that entirely. I think this this next one is um, uh, ni- August of 1981, Rolling Stones released Tattoo You one of their actually one of their higher selling uh, albums certainly the 80s but uh this is uh, arguably just kind of them the, it sounds just like kind of stereotypical rolling stones almost yeah right? like kind of going back to their roots right like this is this really to me felt like you're going to a blues club and hearing a really good mm-hmm. band playing and and what's interesting is this is a collection of basically discarded tracks from 72 to 79 mm-hmm. that they were about to go back on tour again. They're like, well, we don't really have time to write new songs. And so somebody, one of their producers was like, well, we've got all these other ones that we can just kind of fix up and put on. And it uh, ended up doing very well for them. Yeah. But it is funny. That it, it sounds, uh, you know, listening to it the first time without knowing that, I was like, okay, this is you know what it sounds just kind of familiar right it doesn't mm-hmm. really sound like they're pushing forward at all and then you look at it and you're like oh well because they're not they they're literally yeah, going exactly. backwards and going through their catalog and seeing what they got um but i think you know this one's not bad honestly uh well let's take a listen to a song first before we get into it i think um are we going with start me up or are we uh, uh yeah this one the the big track off of here start me up number one yeah. um basically I, I have to imagine they made this song as like you know I'm tired of deciding what song to start a show with. We need to just <laughs> have one that we can just go to by default. 
Uh, but let's take a listen to. Oh, you know what? I'm gonna go in the opposite direction. And play my least favorite on here. Ooh. I want to. Let's take a little, little listen. That's taking a stand on the issues today. <laughs> yeah. Let's listen to Neighbors. This is track six on the CD. Okay, new rule for rock songs. Whatever the song is, the the singer has to begin by just shouting the title of the song three <laughs> times before getting into yeah. it. Yeah, that would have made Baba O'Reilly a lot less confusing. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, what really drives me crazy about that song is that snare drum without the snares. <laughs> it's the I mean, it's the opposite of the rolling piano. Yeah, right? yeah. It, it just it's. I guess if. If they made the argument, and I don't know if they have, that it's like, I guess, the maybe the annoying sound of your neighbors clomping around like on the ceiling, which is kind of what it reminds me of. Yeah. But it's like nails on a chalkboard. It, it reminds me of um, when, I don't know if it was their, la- their final album, but Metallica's Saint Anger that came out in 2000-something, mm-hmm. I think. They it, The whole album is the snare drum without the snares on it, and people <laughs> endlessly mocked it for it. <laughs> And it t- including like taking uh, their old songs and then putting that drum track under it so of you'd course. hear it. And that's that's all I could think of this whole time was that yeah. horrible, horrible snare drum. I'm not sure if that's a... I, re- I would have to look at the lyrics to see if this is a everyone get along kind of song or mm-hmm. if it's a get off my lawn kind of song. I could go either way I with feel that. like they probably went either way. The, yeah. I don't think the lyrics go hard enough in either direction the chorus is obviously like do on you know that yeah the do unto roll. others but there's a there's an but, irony to yeah. it i think yeah this is this is definitely the the other side of the moving into the the mature mellow mm-hmm. phase you've got john lennon who's just kind of peaceful hanging out watching right. his kid play on the swing set and then you've got uh mick and keith who are like ah grumble grumble <laughs> neighbors changing the neighborhood yeah i think considering the fact that like these songs were all kind of leftovers from other sessions and stuff. And all the lyrics were uh, mostly added in like the year or so prior to this. Like they found the backing tracks essentially and then added the lyrics. The lyrics all do kind of sound like afterthoughts to, for most of this. Uh, Which I mean, hey, Talking Heads, same thing. Right? Sure. So, yeah. They, yeah. They yeah. kind of did the same thing, but obviously did better success. Better, I yeah. think. Uh, especially like uh, the only Keith song on here uh, or Keith led vocal track, the little TNA is probably like some of the worst lyrics I've heard, <laughs> not just from Rolling Stones, but maybe from any band. Just completely like, it had to be take one, this, yeah. these kind of things. And then it's, of course, repeated over and over. We're kind of mocking the album, but this is my like complete album front to back. This is my favorite of the five. Really? And yeah, because I, I like going to blues uh-huh. clubs and yeah. watching a good band. And that's kind of what you get from from this it's it's the rolling stones going back to that blues rock route mm-hmm. and start me up i think uh not as good in my mind as watching the wheels as far yeah. as like a great song goes but i think it's definitely the best individual track the rolling stones put out maybe post 72 i don't yeah. know if that's controversial or not mm-hmm. but yeah 72 let's see 71 i'm looking over at my shelf it would have been sticky fingers yeah yeah, I'm kind of like post brown sugar wild horses kind of and it's got a, they've got a couple of tracks in the early 70s that right. were good but 
Yeah. My uh, line with the Rolling Stones is typically it's a great band in the 60s, and then uh, they made the mistake that the Beatles didn't make, which mm -hmm. is they stayed together right. after 1970 and continued putting stuff out. And they would put out seven more albums after this one yeah. still. Oh, yeah. Which, uh, and, and counting, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. I guess they're, they're probably not. They just toured not that long ago within mm -hmm. the last few years. I don't know if they've got plans to make another record. but I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think this one's bad necessarily. I think listening to it, I just got kind of bored with it. Mm -hmm. I, I think you're right. It does have the sound of like going to hop in between blues clubs and hearing songs, which would be cool if it wasn't the Rolling Stones. Like <laughs> I just expect more from them, right? I think these aren't bad, but I, and I would like it if it was just a bar band doing any of these songs. Yeah. But I, yeah, just my expect expectations are a little higher. You go back to like early Rolling Stones, and that's that's what they were. Mm -hmm. Like they were a they were a blues bar band. Most of their songs were either covers of or highly derivative. There should probably have been a lawsuit if there wasn't one. Mm -hmm. uh, original tracks that were clearly uh, taken from this blues classic yeah. or that. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I think, like I said, mostly I just, you know, even by the end, like I, uh, waiting on a friend, a pretty good closing song, but, bad. but some of these, even just looking at the names, I, I couldn't really tell you what they sound like anymore. Like, I don't know what the chorus to tops is. Yeah. They all kind of run together. Yeah. But in, in my opinion, they run together in a good way, but yeah, yeah, it doesn't, it, uh, it has still, they managed to pick up songs that still created over the course of seven years still fit together mm. in a pretty decent uh, decent song list. I'm about to make your argument on a, uh, on a subsequent album, so oh. I, I totally know where you're coming from. <laughs> All right, well, let's move ahead uh, to February of 82. Uh, we have Lou Reed releases The Blue Mask. And here's the here's the controversy with this, uh, and this is a controversial question for you. Mm -hmm. Now, I was wondering why no Dylan. You explained that why this album and not New York. Well, one answer is that I was reading about his albums in chronological order, and then I came okay. to this one first, and then uh, for then stopped and thought this one sounds good, and then <laughs> didn't until re later realize oh, New York's 1989. I right. guess that is probably the more obvious choice. So the 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 easy answer is uh, I overlooked it, okay. <laughs> unfortunately. But I, but also then after that, I was like, well, you know what? Maybe maybe it's better to go with the less obvious choice. Maybe this is Well, these one... are also kind of contemporary, right? Because Double Fantasy is yeah. 80, Tattoo You is 81. This uh, is 82. The albums that we're going to be covering next are like 82, 83, right? Yeah, the, so this the... is all very close to each yeah, other. Yeah, and, and I do, you know, I've trended more towards the earlier right. uh, in general because... The theory being I'll get more stuff later, and mm -hmm. then so I want to go in order. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I'm not dis certainly disappointed in this one. I think uh, this is a pretty interesting and uh, unique album, I think, uh, in his catalog. <laughs> that, that sounds derogatory, but I mean it in a, in a, as a compliment. I no, think. it would have been fine if it wasn't uh, <laughs> yeah, unique. The, the delivery, I That's, think. Uh, it's a very interesting album. <laughs> Which it is. I think what's the most interesting is it's him with just a four-piece band, mm -hmm. him on uh, Lou Reed on vocals, guitar, Robert Quine on guitar, Fernando Saunders on bass and background vocals, and Don Perry on drums. And these four lay down the entire backtrack in live in studio. The only overdubs are vocals, uh, and I think one song has some guitar overdub. The first song, My House, has a guitar overdub as well. But... It's uh, and I think that makes it a very, you know, you said like the tattoo U has a very cohesive sound throughout. I think this one, for obvious reasons, has that cohesive sound mm -hmm. and it really flows as an album. What are we gonna listen to? I'm gonna go with Waves of Fear. I think uh, track eight on here. This is one that kind of grabbed me the most. Okay.
So he's following the neighbor's rule. That's good. <laughs> like like the John Lennon one, it's kind of about settling down. He's turned 40. He's married. He's sober. He's uh, it's And that whole album is kind of that, that a change in lifestyle for him that he's trying to embrace. Mm. And this song is kind of like the wrench in the in the gears, right? That's like, well, what if, what if I just all go back to how it was? What if I can't do this anymore? Yeah. And I think uh, it... It was, and it comes right, you know, it's like the end of act three, essentially, if this was a movie, right? This is the the crisis of the soul or mm-hmm. whatever. But, uh, and, and I think it still sounds, even though it's like this kind of domestic album, it still has an edge that uh, that you'd only get from Lou Reed. Yeah. I think the the sort of edge that Lou Reed can't possibly make an album without, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if, if it's Lou Reed, there's going to be that edge to it. Yeah. This, to me, felt uh, obligatory. This, to me, felt like, and I know this is not the case, mm-hmm. uh, but it felt like, oh, he's got a five-album deal, and he's made four, uh-huh. and he's got to make one more, and he just kind of goes into the studio and does it. But it just felt kind of tired yeah. to me. Like, comparing this to... His stuff with the Velvet Underground or mm-hmm. his really early uh, solo stuff. This was definitely like I've aged and in aging, I've lost a little bit of that edge mm-hmm. that I had. But he'd get it back later. So Yeah. And uh, what's funny is I think this is actually the first album in a new contract. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Oh, but <laughs> that's, that's even funnier. Yeah. I didn't know that. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, Velvet Underground and Transformer are ones that I really love. Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted to get at something Lou Reed of the 80s. And uh, I do love, I love, like I've said before, the band concept on this, where it's just the four guys. You can hear, uh, it even says right on the back, all of uh, Lou Reed's guitars on the right stereo channel and Robert Quine's on the left. Yeah. Which is fun to listen to. Is this the one where Robert Quine like tuned his guitar a little bit different? So he was playing the same chords but right. different fingering yeah. to make it sound a little bit different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and just stuff like that. Like it's it's a it's a very considered album, I think, for being such a change of pace too. Mm-hmm. But uh, it still has like, it still has that bite. It also does have like there's some definite corny stuff on this <laughs> one too. I mean the ver- all the lyrics to women are just like i'm rolling my eyes like this is the second this like this is your yeah <laughs> yeah i think that was the point on this album where i was like oh okay yeah i'm, I'm just gonna go back and listen to velvet Underground again. <laughs> it does i think it's saved by the like two minute outro guitar interchange mm. i think is really good and i think uh average guys another kind of like corny song that, but i think that one works a little better yeah uh but yeah it, it has like the gun and the blue mask and waves of fear and even Heavenly Arms, they, they're still like, they have that trademark Lou Reed uh, sensibility right. to them. I think that's really cool. They do. But I'm just like listening to the whole, there's, there's a song called The Heroine. And I'm like, right. okay, this is just reminding me of better uh-huh. stuff very, very explicitly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. And obviously the kind of a reference to the Velvet Underground song. But, right. Uh, I wonder how, it's hard to say like listening to, like what year was Velvet Underground Nico it was like uh, 66 I think or 65 yeah 66 67 66, I think yeah. uh oh yeah maybe 67 but uh cuz I made a note that uh John F Kennedy died 4 years before that album came out mm-hmm. and so that now he decided to process how he felt about that right right but uh the that makes sense to me like that whole generation like took mm-hmm. decades to process Stephen King was writing novels about it like, recently, recently yeah. like, within the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. So Lou Reed was ahead of the curve on that, yeah. I think. But uh, so uh, let's see. And then this was 82. So you figure 15 years. I think I think that's enough time, I guess, to reference it without feeling too on the nose, I right. think. But especially if you, I mean, people were listening to Velvet Underground more and more probably every year. Mm-hmm. So it, it could have felt more like a recent uh, nod or maybe. maybe yeah. It's hard to say without being in that time. Yeah. But I, I like that song as a nod to it while transitioning into this, like a song about his wife rather than a song right. about the drugs. 
And the cover is obviously a nod to Transformer. Just yeah. a blue version of that. Yeah, it's just such a classic cover, man. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Tattoo used also got a like mm-hmm. uh, actually all three of these albums so far. And I think we'll get into a couple that that don't have that classic <laughs> yeah. feel to it, but these like three, all three of these albums yeah, have yeah. very classic covers. Yeah, ones Lennon, you and, find. Lennon and, and Yoko. Mm-hmm. They all stand out. Yeah. Uh, but the next one, yeah, not quite as iconic. I think it's a fine cover, but there's nothing iconic about it. This right. is Paul McCartney's Tug of War. Uh, this came out uh, in April of 82. So this was the one where we're talking before we, uh, from from our, our last episode, and like, okay, what 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 albums are we going to do this <laughs> week? And you showed me Tug of War, and I look on the back, and it's like, oh, Oh, the worst song of the 80s. <laughs> and I knew exactly what you were talking about. It's, it's Ebony and Ivory. Uh, I, I I stand corrected. That is not the worst song of the 80s. That is one of the better songs on this album, I think. <laughs> well, you think there's one worse on this album? Uh, yeah, I think Ebony and Ivory has a bad reputation for uh, yeah. the obvious reason. Like, it's very mawkish and... Mm-hmm and twee but it's not a bad song actually no i don't think it's that bad and, and listening to it now i was like you know i find it hard to rag on a song about like racial equality exactly in 2018 right. when, yeah. uh, but so I, I don't think it's the worst song and honestly yeah. i think it's the better it's a better collaboration than uh the girl uh, is the mine. girl is mine yeah i yeah. was thinking about that too <laughs> like that's a bad song that, yeah, ebony think... and ivory is just kind of there's an aw shucksness right. to it that maybe you could maybe you could get beyond but as a song it's good and as a message it's positive Mm -hmm. so yeah Yeah. go for it i think the worst i can honestly say about ebony and ivory is that uh they have to force a piano into a two-syllable word uh, over and over (laughs) i think think that's the worst piano yeah yeah but uh uh, this is uh he collaborated with stevie wonder for that song obviously uh he did one other song and i want to take a listen to that one this is another paul mccartney stevie wonder uh song this is track four called What's That You're Doing? I like this song better if you assume what she's doing is packing and the guy's just completely oblivious. <laughs> he just does not realize what's going on. <laughs> that is, That would be funny. <laughs> but I, I like this song, I think. And I think this whole album has a lot of experimentation on it, I think. Um, and I think it pays off for the most part, mm. in my opinion, obviously. But uh, I like this one better than Ebony and Ivory. I think uh, it's a more successful collaboration yeah. as far as... Uh, the blending of their sounds go. Mm-hmm. Um, this one is kind of was they both they're all kind of on there as kind of this is a more Stevie Wonder than Paul McCartney and the other one's kind of more Paul McCartney than right, Stevie Wonder. Right, right. But uh, I don't know. I thought I thought it was pretty good. And still produced by George Martin, who mm-hmm. uh, yeah. yeah. So it is kind of a Beatles collaboration, <laughs> right? All. Yeah, with Beatle number five. This is the album that I'm gonna say what you said about Tattoo You, which mm-hmm. is that it it feels. 
there's something off about it to me. And what I what I realized getting through it was I actually said the same thing about the Sugar Hill Gang. You remember back when we were uh-huh. doing that album, and I said it felt like this this like wedding band that had been playing uh-huh. for three hours and after three hours said, you know, you've been such a great crowd. We're going to play some of our originals <laughs> now. Like what this album feels like to me is you've got this really good Beatles cover band where the front man is a dead ringer for Paul McCartney. They've been playing all these Beatles hits for two hours and then and then the front man says, you know what? You've been such a great crowd. We've got some of our own songs we'd like uh-huh. to play and then they play these 12. Uh, it just, it, it's not up to the level, which yeah. is a really high standard to hold anyone up to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think any Beatle made anything as good as the Beatles mm-hmm. afterwards. Uh, Paul. There were individual songs, though. I sure. think George Harrison, Ringo Starr, Lennon, McCartney, mm-hmm. each of them had individual tracks, which put together would have been an album that equaled right. anything that the Beatles had done together. Yeah, I don't think any of the songs on that hypothetical album would have come off of this album, though. Probably not. There's not any standout, like, bowl-me-over great songs on here. Mm-hmm. I think uh, uh, you've got, you know, I like that. What, what's that you're doing is, is good. Here Today is his tribute to John. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of them, and this is his second album, Post Wings. Uh, it's right. his third solo total. And his first album post-John, right? Like, this is the yeah. album that comes out that they were recording when John gets killed, right. and then they took a break and came back and finished it. And so I think you get you get some of the... There's some, like, Wings theatricality mm-hmm. on here. There's some, like, of his Beatles uh, kind of melody, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't want to say... Some that. very explicit nods to Beatles right. songs. Yeah, definitely. Too. Yeah, there's a couple. But, um, yeah, I guess there's no... Like I said, there's no songs that are like the hit. Aside mm-hmm. Ebony and Ivy was a hit, I guess. But yeah, you're right. If you made a compilation of all of the post Beatles songs into a theoretical vinyl Beatles album, yeah. none of them would come from Tug of War. Probably. The late album. Mm-hmm. But I, that being said, I don't think there's anything that really, there's nothing I skipped, you know, listening mm-hmm. to it. I think they're all pretty catchy. Uh, I can't think of the phrase Tug of War now without hearing it in <laughs> that melody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and a ballroom dancing is like such a funny like it's like that's a very paul song I feel right like. right but uh yeah i think it was just more fun like the the stones one was like uninspired been kind of boring and mm-hmm. this one might be also a little uninspired but it was still fun i thought i did come off of this i listened to this coming immediately off of Lou Reed so Mm -hmm. I I listened to it in that order too and you're right like Lou Reed felt obligatory to me like he's going in and recording music because that's my job that's Mm -hmm. what I've been doing for the last 20 years I guess I'll keep doing it uh, was the feeling to me and then with this album even though I didn't like it very much like he's clearly having a blast recording it right like this is a fun album he's having a great time Uh, he's still kind of out there in the world Mm -hmm. in a way that that John Lennon is not like John Lennon recording double fantasy is very mellow, peaceful. I've withdrawn into myself and Paul McCartney is still out there going, Hey everyone, come on, let's have a show. It's going to be great. And even still today, he still is out with his less, but he still seems like he's having fun every time you see him. And I mean, he's out with, with new stuff now and Mm -hmm. it's still, it's very much the same. It's fun. It's catchy. It's poppy. There are, very direct nods to past Beatles songs, yeah. uh, but he's still out there doing the same thing. And I think that's, I mean, if you want to, if you want to talk about it politically, because you can't talk about the Beatles without getting into politics, that's political too, right? Mm-hmm. Because, hey, everyone, let's get together and have a good time as a collective group. Right. Like that's, that's saying something that's saying like, we've got our differences, but we can come together and just enjoy ourselves for a little while. Mm-hmm. And we'll see probably the ultimate example of that in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give it away to the listeners, but uh, a collaboration between many stars oh, okay. uh, yes. coming yeah, together yeah, yeah. for a good cause yeah. might feature prominently uh, in a later episode. Right, right. For better or for worse. And we're going back to that Pink Floyd album. We'll <laughs> yes. see. All the greatest uh, <laughs> session musicians from the 80s come together to make yeah. momentary laps of reason. Mm. But uh, yeah, so I thought this, was, this one was like, uh, and a lot of, contemporary you know contemporary reviews of it considered it a return to form for mm-hmm. him uh because the other the there's two mccartney solo albums that uh, weren't were not that well received and then uh wings was kind of obviously its own thing so people were uh, excited to see him 
in what they considered was his form. Mm-hmm. Now the the final now, one of the week, which we have not mentioned, like we've talked about, we've hinted at all of these mm-hmm. other albums in the in the past as we were as we were recording. So I think someone listening to the first five minutes of this episode knew that we were going to be doing Lou Reed or we we're going to be doing Paul McCartney or we're not going to be doing Bob Dylan. But this artist, I don't think we've even said their name yet. Yeah, I don't remember if I mentioned at the top, but yeah. uh, this is David Bowie's Let's Dance. Uh, this is his 15th album. Uh, came out in April of 83. And this is for what some would consider kind of both the end of a strong run and the beginning of a decline. Yeah. Uh, it's a deliberately pop dance record that he uh, collaborated with Nile Rodgers of Chic uh, to to produce, and probably yeah, like you know, like I said, it's it's the beginning and it's the end of, mm-hmm. of a certain degree of his career, but uh, it's still his best selling album at least as of 2016 uh, from the numbers I read, sold seven million copies, and probably on the strength of just the single. Uh, singles, then, right? I singles, mean, sure, but I think Let's Dance. Three. Yeah. The, the, uh, well, the first, the first three tracks off of here are, Those all, are all pretty big singles. Pretty big hits, yeah. Uh, but I think, you know, this one is one where it's all the ones, like we've said, they, they're trying to find what that next step is in their career. They've been around for so long. Like I said, this is his 15th album, mm. uh, which uh, when I looked at it, I was like, I have, I have nine, including this one, and I was like, I can't believe that I don't have even half of the ones he made so far. But, uh, and the only one I have after this is Black Star, his final album. But, um, I, yeah, it's, it's impressive how prolific he was. And he would release, what, I want to say 10, yeah, 10 more albums after this one, even. So, wow. He, he still kept going. But, uh, let's take a listen. I want to play Criminal World. I think this one, is probably my standout track aside from the obvious singles or even above the obvious singles to fade it for time but there's a great guitar solo coming up uh, right at, after that uh, chorus uh, you'll just have to take our word for it y'all. yeah take it right yeah. you know or get the album if i guess if you want yeah but, uh that's from uh stevie ray vaughn as the lead guitarist oh on this that's record, right yeah uh, which is an interesting he got a start on this album yeah pretty much right? he like released kind of big break. Uh, texas flood would come out the same year which is kind of his first well it was his first album uh, of solo work but yeah it's a it's an early uh, gig for him and he sounds great on it. I, I think yeah. this this album in general does sound good. I think it's very well produced. I think uh, it's still fun to listen to, but it is a little. It's not classic Bowie, obviously. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, of the five albums we're listening to, I think "Tattoo You" is my favorite, just because I like the blues club feel. Mm-hmm. This album is the best of the five, top to bottom. I would say it's definitely. Well, I don't know if it is the best selling because "Double Fantasy" probably did. Yeah, fairly well. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I didn't write down the numbers, but uh, yeah, it's, 
it's certainly up there. One of the best. Yeah, selling one of the best five, selling. Yeah. I think it's the the best top to bottom, and that is a tribute to Bowie's skill as an artist. I think mm-hmm. because this album is such crap. Like every <laughs> single song on it is just pop twee like no substance to it whatsoever but it's good because Mm -hmm. it's bowie working with nile rogers and stevie ray vaughn and they can take this and spin it into something that's really right substantive and worth listening to uh but it is worth noting that this is the this is the album that 15 years later uh they made an entire movie making fun of which is velvet goldmine uh which just completely like rips on this particular <laughs> period of Bowie's career mm-hmm. where he goes from being something wild and out there and substantive and radical and revolutionary to I'm just going to make dance songs and pop songs yeah. and sell 10 million copies. Yeah, I mean, he basically does go into this thinking, well, you know, I've had fun, but I want to make a lot of money at, yeah, the, at this yeah. particular moment. So why don't I do that? But yeah, it, it definitely it def has, or at, uh, it very much has that feel of a cash in kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, you hate to say sell out because obviously he no been... sell out like it's <laughs> what he did, but he did such a good job right, at he, it. He sold out very well. Right. You you said let's dance. I say modern love. Like that's a great yeah. modern love is a great song. Which hearing the the like opening drum beat, I always think it's going to be Footloose. Yes. Which yes. Which then I looked up and like, oh no, Footloose ripped off this song. This yeah. Came, yeah. Footloose yeah, yeah. is eighty four the following year. So yep. uh, at least I feel better about that. No, but... you're a hundred percent right on that. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think Modern Love, The China Girl, Let's Dance, those are all big singles. China Girl uh, was originally on Iggy Pop's first album that Bowie produced. Mm-hmm. They'd written that together and then he kind of remade it. They, they do sound very different, so I won't rag on them too much for like just reusing a song. Yeah. And then Cat People was a song from the year prior for the, a movie called Cat People that uh, he worked with uh, Giorgio Marauder to do the, that song. Uh, so, so two of these songs, two of the eight songs existed prior to this album too so it's a it's a cash in that also i'm only going to write six original songs for which still puts him six up on the rolling stones right? <laughs> it's true yeah they didn't write any originals yeah. for that essentially uh but it's you know it is interesting i think let's dance it's not even the most danceable song on this no. album i don't think no it's seven minutes long it has kind of a slower beat really for a dance song yeah which which you're gonna need if you're gonna be dancing to a song for seven, for seven minutes. minutes yeah, yeah. It's true this is a marathon we're going through. What is the most danceable song? Is it Modern Love or is it something else? Uh, probably I would say Modern Love. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, that has to be it. I think Ricochet has another kind of mm-hmm. uh, slower, kind of offbeat kind of song. I don't even remember what Shake It sounds like. That's the last song. Yeah. Of it. But uh, We'll say Let's Dance uh, follows the neighbor's rule of he, he shouts the title of the song three <laughs> times before yeah. anything else happens. Well, unless you, unless the the title of the song is Ah. Oh, oh, right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think, you know, I still, like, like you said, he just, Bowie, to a certain degree, can't really do any wrong, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe the next two albums, which are supposedly the worst of his career, I think. Uh, I haven't listened to because I don't really want to hear. Because we're not going to, right? <laughs> no, we're not yeah. going to. I, yeah. That uh, the one before this, uh, Super Creeps, and uh, yeah, it's what Strange Creatures and Super Creeps, something like that. That's what people would consider probably the best one, which came out in 1980. I thought about doing that one, but I was like, we have to. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, let's, go dance let's dance is the right I one. I think. Yeah. Uh, but it is funny how like from like 1990 on, everyone would then say, "Oh, it's his best since Super Creeps," or the, yeah, it would always refer back to that one. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the same time in history when David Bowie is is showing up to appear as the sexy villain in a kids movie. Right, the uh, acting career kind of kicks off uh, in in, this, in Labyrinth. In so he doesn't ever stop being revolutionary no. and cool. Yeah, he's he just always takes a cool. brief break from it when he's in the studio. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. his tours were still very successful. Oh in yeah. The 80s. But well, I mean, especially so because ten million people <laughs> right, bought this exactly. album, and yeah, now they're showing up to more successful than ever. I would assume. There's that, uh, there's that line um, is reading about David Bowie going on tour five years later and mm-hmm. people were coming out because of this album and he's looking out at the, the audience like, does anyone own a Velvet Underground album? <laughs> you know I used to be Ziggy Stardust. Right? Yeah. And I'm sure yeah, playing some of the older songs, I'm sure a lot of people glossed over. Yeah. Right? I'm sure it played him well, but they were like, where's China Girl? That about who the hell is Major Tom? <laughs> who? <laughs> Spiders from where? 
I think that that about wraps it up uh, for this week. Those are our, our legacy artists of the 1980s. Uh, this was uh, one of the first ones I had thought of just from looking at those, like I said, the first seven albums. Mm-hmm. I think it was still fun to dive back in. And next week, we're going to dive into uh, kind of uh, uncharted territory. This is the wild wor- wide world of pop music of the mm-hmm. 1980s. Uh, you know, pop, uh, the two things I wanted to avoid kind of uh, in 1980s music was pop music and hair metal. I think those, which we're not going to touch any hair metal. I'm going to nip that. We're not going to touch any hair metal. No, okay. I draw the line somewhere. I'm fine with that, but <laughs> I, yeah, the podcast on the 80s, there's got to be. Well, the, you know, the tagline is stuff worth adding to my collection. Uh, I don't yes, think that's uh, fair. You know, not we've got a Van Halen in there somewhere, right? Like I have they a, had big enough hair that it counts. I have a uh, Van Halen best of that I've considered all I need. Uh, <laughs> it's it's the best of both worlds compilation, which getting at the time, I didn't really realize what that meant. And then obviously mm. both worlds being uh, Diamond Dave and Van and, uh, Hagar after that. Yeah. Uh, and I, when I was listening to it, I was like, wow, half of these songs really suck. And it's the uh, Sammy Hagar <laughs> songs. So I Sammy Hagar, up... the, the vocalist on right now, though? That's yes. a good one. Yeah. Mm, well, debatable. But yeah. <laughs> it, uh, so even when I saved it to my computer, I ended up like just not saving any of the uh, Sammy Hagar songs. That's but we can still do Van Halen, and then we can do like an, a, an early Guns N' Roses album, because Axel had big enough hair. And then you can <laughs> skip over the Poison Rat. Uh, yeah, era. White Snake and still feel like yeah. yeah, White Snake and still feel like you covered it. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, but then next next week the uh, pop music. This is a uh, not just all of your stereotypical uh, '80s pop, but kind of a variety. The kind of stuff you might hear on a uh, station that's playing a little bit of everything. Kind of an eclectic mix of uh, '80s hits. Uh, and. You know, I think that'll be fun. That'll be a place that doesn't really have a reference point from that first episode. So yeah, inter- I'm interested good. to hear it. Uh, but Aaron, thank you for joining me. We uh, As always. We listened to some David Bowie. We heard John and Paul. We heard Lou Reed. We, of course, heard the Rolling Stones. And uh, that sounds to me, well, maybe less yeah, so this week. It sounds to me like we heard the 70s. <laughs> we heard the 70s, uh, <laughs> but uh, we heard it in the 80s this time. So uh, thank you for joining me, and I will see you next week. All right. Thanks for listening to Andy Here's the 80s. What are some of your favorite albums from the 80s released by Legacy Acts? Send me an email at andyheresthe80s at gmail.com. That's 80s spelled out, E-I-G-H-T-I-E-S at gmail.com. Or follow me on Twitter at andyheresit. Also, if you're enjoying the show, leave a rating and a review on whatever podcast provider you use. And if there's an app or service that doesn't have the show yet, let me know, and I'll make sure it shows up there. Thanks again for listening, and see you next week.